Kenny Wayne Shepherd is a musician, singer, songwriter, and guitarist. Got a new album out. It's called Dirt on My Diamonds Volume 1. Get it now wherever music is heard. Also, check him out if you're here in Austin at ACL Live at the Moody Theater on February 17th in support of that new album. Tickets can be purchased at ACLLive.com. And his website is KennyWayneShepherd.net. Kenny, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm good. How about yourself? Doing great. Excited to talk about this new album and you uh, passing through town in promotion of the new album. You're going to be here in Austin on February 17th at ACL Live at the Moody Theater. I don't want to yeah. uh, make any assumptions here, but considering your blues-based background and what Austin has meant to the blues, uh, you have a pretty good energy when you come through town playing shows? Absolutely, man. I got a lot of history there. You know, A lot of my heroes, uh, musical heroes, have come out of that town but you know i mean going back to when i was 15 or 16 years old you know that's when i played my first gig at antones uh i did i recorded my third album the live on record down in austin at one point i thought i was going to wind up living there but didn't end up moving there but just spent a lot of time there soaking up the vibe a lot of guys that i've worked with over the years are from there chris layton from stevie ray bond's band double trouble uh tommy shannon uh, played with me for a while on a, several records, but, you know, out on the road as well before he retired. And uh, my guitar tech, Dustin, uh, lives down there. You know, Eric Johnson, Jimmy Vaughn, like all these guys, Gary Clark, you know, just a rich musical heritage uh, out of Austin for the kind of music that I really love. Have you uh, done much in the way of working with Gary over the years, Kenny, considering that you guys both are uh, looked at as the future for blues? You know, we haven't really done a lot. I mean, we've done a few things here and there, uh, random just appearances like uh, the Hubert Sumlin Memorial Concert that was years ago at the Apollo Theater in New York. We were both on that together. Our paths crossed from time to time, but we've never done any collaboration or anything like that. I remember meeting Gary. We, we were playing at Antone's doing a thing at one point, and, uh, and he came out. It was before, right before he kind of blew up. And he came, you know, up on the bus and and they introduced me to to him and, you know, really nice guy. And uh, I, I hadn't actually seen him play in person yet. So I didn't I didn't know how talented he was. But obviously the people that were introducing him to me, I respected their opinion. They know good music. And, and you know, they were introducing him to me for a reason because he had he had the chops, you know. And then, you know, I've caught up with him like we were doing a European tour and and. We saw that him and his band were playing. We had the day off, so we hopped in and, and caught his show and stuff, you know. But what a, a tremendously talented dude, man. I wish him all the success. I'm I'm proud of what he's accomplished, you know. And uh, and and this kind of music, any kind of exposure, any kind of artists that are bringing more attention to the blues genre, that's all, always a good thing for everybody. I imagine you're also pretty proud about your most recent record, Dirt on My Diamonds, Volume 1. Came out in mid-November. Uh, you're about to start that tour for it. It's going to be a whirlwind of a couple of months. And it was really cool to hear you talk about this new album a few months back when you mentioned, and this is something, a practice that you've been involved with for several albums now, where you work really hard to exit your comfort zone when it comes to the music creation process. Uh, was there something that inspired that initially that made you want to not necessarily get complacent, 
with what you're really good at, but also what's really comfortable and helping to uh, to to transform your music and yourself. Yeah, it wasn't that I was complacent, but like I was able to identify <clears throat> that what I was doing and the people I was working with, it was working really well. And there's one of those like you know the saying, "If it ain't broke, don't fix it." But it's all. But there's also something to be said for like growth happens when you push yourself to the point of being uncomfortable, you know, and that is what I was kind of looking for is further growth. And so, you know, I still collaborate with uh, the people that I have written with my entire career, right? I still work with those people. Uh, I still am making records with Jerry Harrison, who I made so many albums with, um, but I also wanted to work with some other people, write with some people that I had never written with before because that's uncomfortable, but something awesome might come from it produce co-produce and work with another producer marshall altman which i started working with him on the lay it on down record and now we're up to like doing four albums together it's like nobody says you can't do that and this at the same time and so i just wanted to start pushing myself to do things that made me uncomfortable to see where that would lead me you know and i think it's led to some really interesting albums that we have made and it's just led to further growth for me as an artist how did operating outside that proverbial box for this most recent album help you grow? Well, I think it for this recent album, it's like, you know, we just continue to do more of the same. It's like as Marshall and I first started to get to know each other and working together on the Laid On Down record, and then we did uh, the Traveler record, and now we got Dirt On My Diamonds Volume 1 and Dirt On My Diamonds Volume 2 that's going to come out later you know, it's like we just get more and more comfortable and we start seeing how much further we can kind of push ourselves in different directions. And so this album, I mean, I think the previous album, The Traveler, is one of our best records to date. Right. And so uh, I think this is just a continuation of that. And uh, we kind of hit our stride, if you will. And so with that comfort comes the ability to try different things and throw different ideas out. And you're hearing that on this record. I mean, you hear a lot of different sounds, you hear a lot of different genres, all of which I grew up listening to. I didn't just listen to exclusively blues my whole life. You know, I grew up listening to everything. And so that stuff finds its way into the music that I write and record and create. And so you're hearing even more of that on this record. Not that this is the first album or this is uh, recognizable, but you've really grown into your voice over the years, too. I mean, you talk about it uh, going back into the mid-1990s when you first really blew up and were getting Grammy nominations. You were, I don't know if afraid is the right word to use, but you didn't do a whole lot of singing on those albums. But uh, over time, that has changed significantly. There was a little bit of nerves, but it was only because what I really was more than afraid is I was able to really take inventory of like, what can I do well and what can I not do well? Then at that time, uh, I can play guitar beyond my years. You know, I can play guitar. I was a teenager and people are like, wow, because I can play guitar like, I, you know, somebody well beyond my years. But when I opened up my mouth and started to sing, I sounded like a kid. And I mean, there was no getting around that. And that was not the the voice. That was not the sound that I heard from my records. The songs that I were, was writing were mature songs. A, a child's voice didn't belong on that stuff, you know? And since I couldn't sing beyond my years at that point, uh, I didn't have a problem finding somebody that could because I had standards for my music and we had to meet those standards. So for the first three records, Somebody else did all the lead vocals. I sang one song on my first album 
Ledbetter Heights very reluctantly allowed myself to be talked into that. But I believe if I would have allowed them to talk me into singing all those songs, it, the album would, hit, would not have been as successful as it was. And then when the time came that my voice <clears throat> had kind of matured to the point that I felt it was appropriate to to hear it on my music, then that's when I started singing. And that was the fourth record. And I've sang to varying degrees moving forward from that album in 2004. And now we've kind of settled into this thing where I sing about half the record and Noah sings about the other half of the record. And we have two lead vocalists in the band, which is a really cool thing. Not a lot of people have that luxury of having two lead singers in a band. Do you have a favorite song to sing on Dirt on My Diamonds Volume 1? Well, I'm working on it. I mean, the dirt, the title track, Dirt on My Diamonds, I think that's one of the reasons why we led with that song is because it has a strong vocal performance. It has all the elements, you know, of the Kenny Wayne Shepherd Band in 2024. Mm -hmm. It has blues, it has rock, it has a solid vocal, uh, it has searing guitar playing. Um, so, I, you know, that one's going to be fun for sure. Sweet and Low should be fun. You Can't Love Me is nice. You know, it's a nice kind of departure from all that other stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward. I think we're going to play probably about four, maybe five songs from this record in the live show for this year, which is, you know, half or more than half of the record. Um, so I'm looking forward to see how, how it all works out. Sometimes you do songs on a record and they work perfectly for an album, but they don't translate live. So some of that will be trial and error and we'll see how these songs translate with the audience. Why is that? Why are, are there certain songs that sound great on a record, but just don't work live? Well, because what you need is what you need on an album sometimes is just a shift in the mood. Right. And so you'll put a song because you know, albums originally were meant to be people would buy the whole record and they would sit, they might hear one song on the radio. They're like, I got to have that song. Well, in order to get that song, you had to buy the whole record, right? And so then they spent the money on the whole record. So they would sit and listen to the whole record, right? At least once. And so the, the idea is that you make an album and the hope is that they're going to listen to the whole thing and from start to finish. And so you, you're strategic about the order you put the songs in and which songs go on the record so that it flows a certain way. And sometimes you just need a change in the mood to break things up a little bit so that then you can put this other song after that one. And it's not necessarily the song that you need in the live show because you also have, I mean, we've got 30 years worth of other material that we can fit in as well. So sometimes, you know, you record songs and they might not ever actually make it to the stage, but it was the right thing to do for the album. Yeah. I've got a nine and seven year old right now. I believe you have six kids. Is that correct? Yeah. What's the, how old is the oldest and how old is the youngest? Five between five and 16. Five and 16. My goodness. Uh, good, good, good on y'all for, uh, for going that route. We feel yeah. overwhelmed at times with just two. I don't want to be on a, uh, playing, uh, a, a person down if we go three or beyond, but, uh, my nine year old daughter is really getting into music right now. And of course she wants the modern technology that people use to listen to music, but I'm like, no, you got to get a discman. You're going to have to buy albums. You're going to have to learn the value of listening to an album from beginning to end which she does now. And I, I think that's really cool to see because that's a bit of a lost art in this day and age, Kenny. It is, man. <clears throat> you know, it's kind of gone back. The whole streaming thing has taken us back to this, to this era, you know, used to be in the fifties and stuff. It was like 45 albums, singles. And then you had the A side and the B side, and it was one song and another song. And that was that. And they would just kind of push those singles. And then we really got into 
the, you know, especially with bands like the Beatles and stuff, it was like, you know, the whole album experience, you know, and, and it was like buying the record and, and looking at the artwork and, you know, reading the notes from the band inside and having all the lyrics, you know, in front of you and stuff. And now it's like, you know, you hear that one song and you go find that one song online and you add it to your little playlist and, and maybe you never listen to another song from that record, from that artist. So it'd be great. I, I would love nothing more because, you know, it's like, it's like a movie. It's like, would, would you really just go online just to find the one scene out of the movie that you thought that you saw that you thought was funny and you'd only wa watch that, you know, two minute clip or do you actually go watch the entire movie from beginning to end and see all the amazing scenes, you know, that they put out there when they put the whole thing together? I mean, that's, that's art is the full experience. It's not just like, you know, it's not like a, a sampling of the experience. You want to have the whole experience. That is an incredible analogy for that. I, I think also about just a literal piece of artwork. It's like, you look at one tiny section of that piece of art. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't give you the full effect of what that artist intended. Are you a song? Yeah. I'm not going to Sophie's choice you by asking for the number one all time, but uh, what is an album that you uh, just can't help yourself, but to listen to beginning to the end once you put it on initially? Oh yeah, that's easy. Well, there's two of them that always come to mind. One is, uh, the ZZ Top album called Fandango. And it's actually really cool because it's half live uh, performances. Now, I think we're actually recorded in Austin at the UT uh, football stadium, which if I'm correct, I could be off, but I'm pretty sure those live tracks were recorded there. And that was the last concert that they had at that stadium until the Eagles and Kenny Wayne Shepard played that stadium in the 1990s i want to say it was 1996 when the eagles first got back together and they did the hell uh, hell freezes over tour and that was the first concert since that zz top concert that was allowed to be done at that stadium because, because i think such, they, it was such chaos at the end of that zz top concert right yeah they i think they tore the whole field up and you know it's just like it messed the whole thing up they're like no more and then <laughs> and then the next show that they allowed there was the eagles and kenny wayne shepherd was the opening act Anyways, but the Fandango record is so cool because it's half live, half studio stuff. It's short and sweet. It's like, I don't know, it's probably nine songs, maybe. It's not like 16 song record. Um, and it's great. So from beginning to end every time. And then there's a Muddy Waters album that's a little bit longer, but it's called Hard Again. Johnny Winter produced it, played guitar on it. Another Texas guy. And, uh, and one of the greatest muddy waters bands the era of muddy waters it's my absolute favorite is this era and so that album hard again from for, from the first song to the last every time i guess fortunately you're not talking about the 1970s eagles here so things were uh pretty tame by then but what was it like touring for them gosh it's such an early point in your career as well yeah i graduated high school <clears throat> my record came out like a few months later uh in september of 95 i went out on the road with bb king and then the Eagles had just gotten back together and they just started doing some shows in the U.S. They asked us to open up the show in Austin. And that was kind of like a trial run, I guess, for us to do their European tour. So we ended up opening up for the Eagles on their entire European tour uh, that year. So I think it was 1996 by the time that all came together. So, yeah, I mean, I was fresh out of high school, dude. I'm playing for like 80,000 people opening up for the Eagles. It was pretty incredible. Was it nerve wracking at all? I would assume so. But then again, I don't have ice water in my veins like you do. I don't, th you know, I don't know. I can't really, really remember, but I feel like there was a certain amount of 
naivety you know i was like yeah. so young that i kind of didn't realize the the full magnitude of what i had stepped into so i just went out and did my thing mm. so uh this new album has been described as a uh, pretty optimistic a positive album which isn't always the case with the blues necessarily but those two things aren't exclusive they shouldn't be exclusive to one another is that how you guys set out to write this album to have something that was a little bit more on the positive side well for a long time that's been my deal it's like i just you know there's a couple of different so uh, difficult songs on this, like Ease My Mind, the last song on this record, is kind of a down and dirty back alley blues song. Pretty song. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, and then there's also uh, You Can't Love Me, even though, but if you listen to the music, it's kind of, the music makes you feel good, but the actual message is pretty heavy mm. and pretty deep. But ultimately, man, I set out a while ago, especially when I started having kids, it's like, I just realized, man, music is a powerful thing. You think about it like athletes, guys that are getting ready to go to war in the boxing ring or like li listening to headphones and they're using that music to like get them amped up football players, basketball players, people that are about to go to battle, you know what I mean? For the next like several hours, they're using this music to like hype them up. I mean, music can change your mood. It can change your day. It changes your actions, your attitude, everything. And so that's powerful, man. So I realized that. And there's so much negativity in the world and there's so much negativity in a lot of music nowadays that I'm just like, you know what? I just want to be a part of something positive, right? I want to, I want to sound cheesy, but I, it's like, if, I, if you listen to my music, I want you to come away from it feeling good, you know? And so blues music can be about difficult stuff, but it's also about celebrating life. It's also about the healing process, which is a positive thing. And so I've just chosen to focus on, you know, making people feel good. What's the best thing about being the parent of six kids? Oh, wow, man. Well, being a parent in general, doesn't matter how many kids you have, uh, is an incredible thing. And it's also like one of the biggest learning experiences of your entire life, man. It's, you know, teaches you the true definition of like selflessness and, and uh, powerlessness, you know, and just like <clears throat> as they get older and what it's like to have to like love somebody so much, but allow them to be free to live their own life and make their own mistakes and you can't protect them from everything and and it's also like a mirror you know and you get to relive like so many of your own childhood moments you know it's like my kid will be doing something and, and i'll notice it and it just takes me back to being that age doing the same exact thing and so it brings back all these childhood memories so you kind of get to relive your own childhood to a certain degree so the whole experience is pretty profound there are a lot of answers for this next question, Kenny, but what's the hardest thing about parenting kids in 2024? Because holy cow, are there lines all over the place? No, two things. The, well, it all is lumped into one and it's the internet. Yeah. That's the most, that is the most difficult thing as a parent. Absolutely. It's the number one problem causer, I believe, you know, it's like, but video games and social media, social media is, you know, on one hand, like if you're an artist, it's it's a great tool, man. It's like one of the greatest tools because you can go direct to your customer, you know, where before you needed a record company or somebody with much more resources than you to kind of get the word out. So in that in that regard, it's a great thing. But like for the social fabric of this country and our children and their mental health and their well-being, it's horrible. I mean, it's like all these filters that like try people try and make themselves look a certain way, you know, it's not real. It's like, it, it's forcing young people to believe that they have to obtain this unobtainable level of perfection in order to be considered good. 
or loved or appreciated or worthy. And it's like, it's total BS. And, uh, and just like the, I don't know, there's just so many negative things to social media and the internet. And, and you got to really, uh, we try and protect our kids from it as much as possible. Yeah, we try that too. It's very much an uphill battle, especially when you send them to a school and half their day is staring at a screen, supposedly learning something. But if you can do it right, you can raise these little humans, soon to be bigger humans, who are capable of being present and have face-to-face, human-to-human interactions. That is going to put them at a major advantage at some point. Not that that's why I'm doing it necessarily, but I also see how many kids can't operate without a screen in their hand or something that they're looking at at all times, whether you're talking about just hanging out in the car at a swimming pool or at a social gathering. It's, it's really sad. It, it is. Yeah. Really sad, but fortunately well, there are a lot of people keen to that who are fighting against it. Well, I think that ultimately as a parent, you just have to ask yourself, who do you want raising your kids? Do you want to be the one that's raising your children or do you want the internet to be raising your children? Because and, you know, the moment they get a phone or something like that or an iPad and, and they have un, unfeathered access to that, then then it's like the Internet is answering all their questions. Every They want to know, hey, you know, instead of coming to you and say, hey, mommy, you know, how does this work or what does this mean? Or, you know, is this a good thing or a bad thing? They just go online and it's whatever random you know, sub forum that they stumble upon or website or, you know, social media influencer spouting their opinions about things. That's the ideas that then your kids start to take on. And so it's taken the whole like, you know, uh, peer pressure and influence, uh, you know, peer influencing to a whole nother level. So anyways, you know, I don't criticize anybody for raising their family the way they feel uh, is appropriate. But for me and and my family, we've tried to do our best to, you know, limit that stuff as much as possible. Because once you go there, there's it's almost there's no going back. You know, it's like you can't. It's a really hard thing to take all that stuff back once they've been exposed to it. You know. Talk to a lot of parents who have a, a ton of regret because they weren't cognizant enough in the moment, but it's hard to blame them because we were told and taught that this was the future and uh, get with the times or get left behind. But that's turning out not to be the case, unfortunately. Well, what an enjoyable conversation this was with Kenny Wayne Shepard. Check out the new album, Dirt on My Diamonds, Volume 1. Volume 2 will be coming at some point later this year. Uh, also, if you're here in Austin, he's performing. ACL Live at the Moody Theater on February 17th. Tickets at ACLLive.com. Also, check out his website, KennyWayneShepard.net. Kenny, uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for the time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. Thanks to you for hanging out. For more of the show and to connect on social media, visit BooksOnPod.com. Talk to you next time on Books on Pod.